0: I am preaching through the Gospel according to John this summer. We're going to be in John four. I'm, I'm paying special attention to the way John organizes his material. John talks a lot about the seven signs, these seven miracles that help proclaim who Jesus is. And then several times Jesus says, "I am," and then he fills that in. I am the I am the Good Shepherd. I am uh, the, the resurrection, and the life. And so I'm paying special attention to the I am sayings and then also to the signs. We're at the part of the gospel where we haven't gotten the I am sayings yet, but we've gotten through uh, now one sign and we go to the second sign in John 4. Now, because I'm not preaching John straight through, uh, I'm kind of like skipping pieces. And sometimes those pieces are important for the context of what we're talking about. So, So just to cut you up. Um, we're paying a special attention to the metaphors and symbolism that John likes to use. There's already been several interactions with Jesus. We talked last week about the wedding at Cana, the first sign. From there, Jesus went to Jerusalem for a festival. And uh, while he was there, he got mad at the money changers and chased them all out. And he was also doing a number of other signs. So so part of what's happening is people are hearing about these signs. They're hearing about how he stood up to the religious leadership and uh, people are sort of fascinated. They're sort of coming around to see what Jesus is going to do next. Now there was this man named Nicodemus who came to Jesus in the middle of the night and wanted to find out kind of what his teaching was all about. Notice in the middle of the night, he didn't want anybody to see him. Uh, but he had trouble because he had so many possessions, he didn't want to give up what he had. Then Jesus has an interaction in the middle of the day with a Samaritan woman, which I think is sort of a po- opposite. You know, it's sort of the other side of the coin of Nicodemus. And this woman doesn't want to talk to Jesus, but Jesus comes and talks to her and tells her about her life. She actually believes and tells her whole town what's going on. She says, come and hear this guy who told me everything I ever did. And so we uh, we have Jewish people that are not willing to accept Jesus. Now we have a Samaritan woman that does. And then we have this new character that we're going to see. See, this is a big thrust of the Gospel of John. John is all about the identity of Jesus. Who is Jesus? Through these signs, through the I am saying, Jesus is trying to say, This is who I am. And the question is, How are you going to react to who he is? And we're getting all these different reactions. And now John, Jesus is going to do another sign. And again, the question is going to be, What are we going to do with this Jesus? And people are gathering around. They like miracles. Who doesn't like a miracle, everybody? Like, have you heard somebody was doing miracles? Or if you heard somebody was bold enough to stand up to authorities? Right, tell it how it is. Don't we love those kind of people? At least at first, right? So, so crowds are gathering around him, but they're sort of demanding signs. They want, they want him to do something. Like, okay, show us something new. New. What's next? What's the new sign? And uh, and what you find is that actually Jesus is getting kind of frustrated with the people that want the signs but don't seem to want him. And these are the people that should know who Jesus is. They've been talking about a Messiah, looking forward to a Savior, but they can't—they don't quite know what to do with this character. Now Jesus is back in Cana, where he turned the water into wine, and people are coming to see these signs, and, and a, an official comes to see him, and I'm going to pick it up in John 4, 46. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water into wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill, This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Jesus is back in Cana. He's back towards his hometown. Cana is only about eight miles, something like that, from Nazareth. And so Jesus is back kind of where he had probably relatives. And he's back where he's done a miracle already. And uh, this man comes to him. That John just calls him an official. Now, in, in, uh, in uh, two other Gospels... There's this character that has a similar miracle experience who's a Roman centurion. And so some people sort of say this is the same story. I think there's enough differences that it's not the same story. I think this is an official. It could be a Roman, but uh, but probably this is is quite possibly just a, a Jewish person who's more of a secular Jew. He works for the government, works for the Roman, maybe even has sold out to work for the Roman government. And he works in uh, Capernaum, which is to the north of the Sea of Galilee. It was a major sort of trade spot. You had to pay taxes to travel through there. There was a toll booth that uh, one of the disciples, Matthew, was a tax collector there. And uh, so so he's an official sort of person. He's a business person. And he he comes to Jesus and asks him to heal his son. Now, can you imagine this, Father? Let's just think about this for a second. If your son was dying... If this was your child sick and on the verge of death, could you bring yourself to leave for two days? Right? Like, like, just think about that for a second. It's about a day's journey from Capernaum over to Cana, and then it'd be about a day's journey back. You'd have to do an overnight to go make this trip. But imagine your son's dying. Imagine the desperation that you have to have to leave your dying son to go for two days to try to find a miracle for him. If it doesn't work, then when you say goodbye to go on that trip, who are you saying goodbye to? You're saying goodbye to your son forever. The likelihood that you're, you're taking this chance, and the chance is that if Jesus doesn't heal your son, then you're never going to get to talk to him again because he's going to die during the journey. I mean, imagine the, the desperation, the crisis. Perhaps his father is just trying to do everything he can to save his son. Does he even really believe that Jesus can heal him? Is this a moment of belief or desperation? Maybe both. Maybe maybe belief and desperation are, are just, a, just a hair's, a hair's breadth, just, just a thin line between those two things. Commentator Frederick Dale Bruner then has a good way to say this. What happens next is a rebuke, a plea, and a promise. A rebuke, a plea, and a promise. The rebuke from Jesus comes across very strong. He says, "...unless you see signs and wonders..." You will not believe. And so what it, what it appears to at first in English, it looks like he's really kind of chastising this father. Oh, you just want a sign. But what you understand, and this, this just doesn't come across good in the English, is that the Greek here is plural. So he turns to the father, but he says, when, when it's translated you, it's really like a you all. You're from Pittsburgh. It's like a "yins," everybody. He's saying yins. It's a It's a plural. So he, he's not actually chastising just the Father. He's chastising everybody in the crowd, even though he's saying it to the Father. He's saying, Yins, want a sign. Y'all want signs and wonders for you to believe. And I think he's looking at this Father saying, Is that what you want? You just want a sign? Is that, you're just looking for a sign? Just looking for a, a wondering? See, th- this is the problem. I mean, the problem for this crowd that Jesus has with this crowd is that these people really want something from Jesus. They want a signs based faith. They want their faith to be based on a sign. Give me a sign. Show me a miracle. Do something cool, God. Do what I want you to do. They want a God who's a vending machine. Okay? They want they want Jesus to, to just answer their will and their wishes. And uh, and Jesus has no interest in that. He he won't give himself to those kind of people. They want the miracle. They want the show. They want something from Jesus. Instead of just wanting Jesus himself. And Jesus has a real problem with that. That crowd, like many in the Gospel of John, and I would argue that many Christians today, have a consumer faith. They want the things from Jesus. They don't just want Jesus. And Jesus, in the Gospels, he has little patience and sometimes clear frustration for those people. Jesus is happy to help those in need. He wants to do signs, but he doesn't like the demand for signs. So I think what Jesus is actually doing is rebuking the crowd, but then sort of testing the man. He's saying, okay, yins want a sign. And he's kind of saying to the father then, well, what do you want? All the man can do is make his plea. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. So was there something in the way Jesus said that that sort of welcomed the request? You know, it it comes across a little bit harsh. Or is the man just that desperate? He wants Jesus to come as soon as he can because his son is going to die. Actually, this is interesting because later in John, there's going to be an incident we're going to preach. I'll preach later in the summer where uh, Lazarus, the friend of Jesus, is going to die. And they say, Jesus, come before Lazarus dies. And he does delay, and Lazarus... Does die. Mary and Martha are mad that he doesn't come quick enough, and then Jesus heals Lazarus anyway. But the plea receives back a promise from Jesus. He says, Go, your son will live. Again, the English here is difficult. The will live kind of puts it in the future, but the Greek is not really in the future. It really should maybe be translated He lives, He is living he is alive and well we might say it's a little more present tense okay and i think that translates better in the story too because we know that right at that moment is when the boy has actually healed so the official then goes away to go back to cana can you imagine that night i mean he's got to sleep in cana he doesn't he can't travel overnight back to capernaum so imagine you're sleeping out you're hanging out in cana and then you've got to head back the next day to travel home. The text says he believes Jesus, but how much does he believe Jesus? Like, how much is he wondering? I mean, the the anxiety of that trip, right? Is my son going to be alive when I get home? Is my son going to still be alive when I get home? Will I get to talk to my son again? How is this going to work? So he has to make the journey to find out how the story ends. He doesn't know. Importantly, though, he does say he believe and as he's walking home of his household workers meet him on the road did you catch that detail like i think what's happening here is the, the people that are at home when his sons start to get better they know he's gone to canaan to try to get the miracle so they like meet him on the road they like rush back to try to catch him so that he knows the news as soon as possible they said your son is recovering and then he says well what time did that happen And they said it's about about the seventh hour, which is, uh, they they would mark time normally from the actual sunrise. Okay, So when they say the seventh hour, it's more like 4 or 5 in the evening, which is not enough time to walk back, hence why he had to stay over. And so Jesus says, or the man says, well, that's right when Jesus told me that my son would live. So here we have this amazing miracle that Jesus does at a distance. He's not near the kid. He doesn't even say a prayer, everybody. He doesn't do it. He just says, oh, your son's okay. And then a day's journey away, the son gets better. This stunning miracle. And so this man believes and his whole household believes. And John calls this the second sign, the second thing that happens where we can see who Jesus is. Okay, again, when we say sign, I think... What John means is not just like a miraculous thing. I think it's almost like a billboard. Like, hey, look at this. Look at who this is. It's pointing to something. So the question is, what is the story pointing to? Well, I think there's a number of ways we could interpret this. First, look at the character of Jesus. That, that's for John central and always going to be. So when we look at the gospel of John, we're always going to be saying, what's he saying about Jesus? Jesus. And, and I think two things about Jesus. One is his it is miraculous ability to heal. This is a big deal with John. He, he, can, he can calm the sea. He can multiply bread. He can heal, and he can heal at a distance. That, that Jesus can say, your son's okay, and at the same time, your son a day's journey away is being healed, is miraculous, miraculous power. But notice also the character of Jesus. The compassion of Jesus. You get the feeling from the description of what's going on that Jesus is kind of upset at this point. He's upset with this crowd that just wants signs. And yet something in Jesus, when this father complains, begs, pleads, this desperate cry, this desperate prayer of a father, he responds. He responds to the prayer with compassion and mercy and great power. Second, we should note the challenge of signs faith. Faith based on signs. Jesus has no patience for people that are following him because of what they can get from him. Okay? Jesus has no patience in the Gospels and especially in the Gospel of John for people that just want Jesus because they want something from Jesus. And, and I'm worried, I worry as I look at the church today in America today, that we have a lot of Christians that are following Jesus because of what they can get from Jesus following Jesus because they want something how do you know that you have a signs based faith well there's a couple ways I'll ask you just a couple questions you can kind of sort yourself out here how do you do when God seems distant from you like when God seems far away how do you deal with that if God doesn't feel real close to you is that really troublesome for you or are you okay with that what is your response when God tells you no or doesn't answer your prayers we pray all the time, not my will, but your will be done. But but what happens when God's will isn't your will? How do you handle that? How do you react to that? Do you want God, or do you want God to do it your way? And then this this story I think points to something, and I point to this in you know, pointed to this in multiple of my sermons. But but I I remain I, I, it remains just critical to me. That trusting God with everything is difficult. But I think one of the hardest things for us to trust God with is timing. Timing. Sometimes God answers my prayers. He just doesn't do it when I want him to. Anybody have felt that before? It's one thing for God to answer my prayers. There's another thing for God to do it when I want him to. He does not seem to have... God's clock seems to be very different than my clock. It's terribly frustrating. And it's sometimes a hard part of faith. Is trusting God with timing. And and you see this in the Father, this Father, right? Lord, come now. Come now. See, his sense of timing is different than Jesus' sense of timing. So not only can you trust God, but can you trust God with the how and trust God with the when of his answers. Third, I want you to notice what happens when someone truly believes. It always affects other believers, right? This man believes. This entire house believes. The Samaritan woman, her whole town, believes. Faith is contagious. And we know that. This is Father's Day. Um, if, you, if, if a father goes to church, much more likely that the kids are going to end up in church. Does not actually matter that much how faithful the mother is. A lot of times, it's actually the father that sets the tone for that. Okay? But that's true in households, it's true of people. When faith is strong, it spreads. It's contagious. One of the markers, if you want to know whether... Here's this is another thing. If you want to know whether you really believe in Jesus or you just want stuff from Jesus, if you're a faith-based Jesus follower, or if you're like a signs faith Jesus follower, um, look at the people around you. Do You have a faith that's contagious for other people. Other people believing because you believe. That's, a, that's, a, that's another way to know whether you're just in it for the signs or if you're really following Jesus. Finally, let's, let's consider one other thing that I think is important about the, the miracles and it's going to be important particularly next week. But a miracle in the Bible is never just one miracle. A healing is never just one healing. Like You can look at this story and say, oh, this son got healed. But I want to argue that the father got healed every bit as much as the son did. Imagine the anxiety? Some of you don't even have to imagine it. You had children that have gone through terrible things where you've lost children or you, you lost grandchildren or you thought you might lose children or grandchildren. It's devastating. The healing of the miracle is not just the son, he's also healing the father. He's also healing the household. Imagine that boy who almost died. How does he live the rest of his life? See, the miracle is never just one miracle. It's always a healing of a bunch of things. At the same time, Jesus is using this miracle to teach the crowd something. And the disciples must have heard the response later. Notice, the man goes back to Cana. Jesus and the disciples or go back to Capernaum. The disciples don't. How do they know how this turned out? They must have talked to that dad again. They must have talked to that son again. We know that they hung out a lot in Capernaum. was sort of Jesus' base of operations. Which tells me that this father did not just have one miracle. But this household really did follow Jesus. Because somehow the disciples heard the finish of the story. They heard what happened when the father got back to Canaan. That means that they continued to tell the story. They continued to follow Jesus. And and so this healing is not just a healing of one boy's illness but it's a healing of a household and a whole family, a family that's been rocked with anxiety. So maybe you need that kind of healing. Maybe you need that kind of Jesus right now. Notice the power and compassion of Jesus, the challenge of faith that is based on what we get from him. And take a look at yourself and and, and think about how you respond to Jesus. Is it about the miracles and the signs, or is it about something more? Think about the contagious nature of true faith. The healing of lives and relationships that go way beyond a medical healing. And may God bring you healing as you consider this story.